All right, good morning. Hey, I'm Cameron. I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Community Church. Thank you, Jared. Uh, and uh, if you would be turning to Revelation chapter 19, we'll be in uh, verses 1 through 10 this morning. And uh, before I read that, just want to catch us up on a couple of things since we're returning to the book of Revelation. Yes, we skipped chapters 8 through 18 in terms of the preaching part, but you are free to read them with some of the, uh, hopefully some of the, the, the things that we've talked about would, would be helpful to you in understanding a bit more of what is going on. Do remember that the book of Revelation opens by saying, blessed are those who read and hear. And then at the end, it says, who live out the words of this prophecy. So we are, uh, would be robbing ourselves of an opportunity to truly be blessed if we were to avoid this text. And a couple things just to remember is that there's, a, there's a, a several different ways of reading Revelation, several different ways of interpreting it, both historically and otherwise. Um, and so the, the way that we, uh, I, choose to go through it is uh, seeing it as progressive parallelism. And let me let the cat out of the bag. I am optimistic in my amillennialism. And we'll talk about that later. That's not important for today necessarily. Now, progressive parallelism, what that essentially means is that the book of Revelation is telling uh, the same story from different viewpoints and progressing as it goes. And it breaks up into seven parts. The part that we'll be in this morning is the end of the sixth cycle. And so what we see is we have to orient sometimes, are we talking from the earthly perspective or the heavenly perspective? And so those th things are important to us. And so we'll, we'll clue you in on those as we go along. Uh, and again, but do remember, the, the mo what's the most important aspect of Revelation? What does it tell us? Christ is the lamb who is victorious as the lion of Judah. We, his people, will be delivered from this fallen world, our sinful failings, death itself, and delivered into the kingdom, which will be uh, all things made new. And we'll get to dwell with God for eternity. And uh, for all the stuff we get wrong about how it looks or exactly when it happens and all that stuff, we're just going to be happy to be there. We won't fight about it, I guarantee you. And so, uh, and that's good news to us. So don't forget the main part again. Uh, and, and so I, I don't. I'm, I'm okay if it ends up I'm wrong in the positions that I've taken. I've taken those positions through a good bit of study. doesn't make me right. Uh, and I know there's other faithful people that I trust that hold different positions. Francis Schaeffer, I think, was pre-mill, uh, and I love that guy. And so, if you would, hear God's word uh, read and uh, receive it as a gift from him. And when it is finished, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond with thanks be to God. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and have, has avenged on her the blood of his servants." Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so what we want to take away from this morning's sermon is that God's faithful fulfillment of his just judgment and promised redemption of his people in Christ is worthy of our obedience and worship between the now and the not yet. Let me read that again. God's faithful fulfillment of his just judgment and promised redemption of his people in Christ is worthy of our obedience and worship between the now and the not yet. So one question to ask of ourselves is what has most recently caused you to mumble, say, shout, or sing hallelujah? Because that is actually, it should be a a very technical term. Now, we we don't use it very technically. We throw it around a good bit, right? Uh, I'm sure at the Calton household last night as Duke, the evil empire, was taking down the poor old beat up Tar Heels yet again, there were hallelujah choruses abounding. He's even taught his children this. Uh, (laughs) Wit came in this morning saying, Duke wins, Duke wins. Uh, Yeah. So I taught him some stuff, and it's, yeah, it'll pay dividends at their house. Uh, and so, so we do, and I'm not accusing Wes of throwing the word hallelujah around, but we, we all do it, don't we? But hallelujah actually is a very specific term in Scripture used for the praise and the worship and the glory of God. And yet we, we find far lesser things to declare worthy of the word Hallelujah. And we, we, we get excited about things for any number of reasons, usually because it most benefits us, right? Usually the word hallelujah is hallelujah. Finally, that got taken care of. Uh, Kennestone Hospital has been trying desperately to charge me for something that I don't owe. And it's even in the math. Like I've, I've called and explained seven, eight different times. I'm persistent. Uh, and and they, every time they're like, hey, yeah, you know what? You're right. But for some reason, email doesn't work between the two departments. And it's just, and so finally, they called me. I was like, hallelujah, finally. Uh, it's been taken care of. But, but uh, I do want us to recognize that there really is only one person who is worthy of our hallelujah. And he's worthy of that because he has been just in judging those who have oppressed his people, that which is taking away life from them. And do remember that we, we, don't, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the principalities and powers of darkness, although the principalities and powers of darkness use the ordinary means of flesh and blood to war against the people of God. And there is a cost to that. And we don't want to celebrate the, the harm of any individual or any even king or queen or any of those things. However... It is part of what must be dealt with in order for all things to be made new. 
and it will be just, whatever it is. And we need to have that perspective and be able to worship in spirit and truth the just judgment of the Lord our God because it is the means of deliverance. Without judgment, there is the, no thing gets made new. And creation continues to groan if he doesn't fulfill the thing that he promised to do in judging. But he's also good in delivering and redeeming. And remember, one of the reasons why this thing hasn't wrapped up yet, according to 2 Peter 3, is because he loves us. And he loves those who will come into the family that we don't even know yet. And he loves redemption. And he loves reconciliation. And he loves it when the family gets bigger. Do remember that one of the places where a party breaks out in heaven even now not sometime in the future. They're not waiting. It, it, it's too exciting when one lost sitter, sinner comes for them to wait to the very end to, to have a party. So somehow they're already partying before we get there. And we too should get excited and recognize that our voices need to join the hallelujah chorus along the way. And so he is worthy because of his faithfulness, his steadfastness in loving us as we sang this morning for us to obey his law, right, and to worship him in spirit and truth. And when I say obey his law, remember that the two great commandments are love the Lord your God, which is a worship commandment, right, and love your neighbor, which is a call to kingdom work, a call to joining in as an ambassador of reconciliation. We are not passive participants in this. We are active. We are called to use the gifts and the things he's given us in order to declare the king and the kingdom. And as we do that, the family helps, helps contribute to the family getting bigger, right? And so as we step into this, I want to make sure that we don't forget, uh, and, and David De Silva says this very simply, that uh, more than seeking to be interpreted, the book of Revelation seeks to interpret the reality of the audience. See, it's interesting. We've spent so much of our time trying to figure out, who, who exactly do you, do you think is Babylon? Well, as I've said before, most of the world currently interprets it as the United States of America. Right? So, so as someone in, uh, uh, say, a South African context reads the book of Revelation, they're like, oh, I know who that is. That's the United States of America. They're clearly Babylon, which we would bristle at a little bit, I guess. And so, uh, again, is it, is it important that we know specifically who Babylon is if we know who Christ is? And you know, if you know how Babylon works, if you know what idolatry is, if you know that material, uh, material things, they're going to pass away, that nothing gold can stay, that you should not put your hope in things that are perishing, then it's easy for you to recognize whatever comes in the spirit of Babylon or in the governance and oppression of Babylon. If you know that all that we do must glorify the Lord our God and exalt Christ, which is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, then it's easy to spot when the beast kingdom is trying to convince you that God should not be glorified and that you should instead be exalted. It doesn't matter who it is. It's what they are saying and doing that we should recognize in antithesis to the kingdom of God, in antithesis to Christ as king. It's really not as hard as we make it. But if we get tangled up in interpreting, guess what we don't have to do if we don't understand it? 
We don't have to do anything. We get to stay caught in the cycle of discovery, which oftentimes we don't put a lot of effort into anyway if we're not careful. We can stay caught in that cycle instead of doing the very simplistic thing that Christ said do until he returns, which is make disciples. Make disciples who understand what it means through word and deed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's easy to understand the things that are in opposition to that if we are paying attention. And if we confess that we ourselves long for and oftentimes turn to lovers far less wild than the Lord our God. That we would rather drink from broken and and, uh, hewn cisterns that can't hold water instead of taking in the living water that is Christ himself. And so as we step back into this, we need to recognize exactly what is most important about the book of Revelation and then work our way out from there, right? And so uh, as we turn back to the text, I want to look at the hallelujah chorus for God's just judgment. Now do take note that it says, after this, John says that he heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. Now, in the book of Revelation, when you hear of the great multitude, do remember Revelation chapter 7. Keep that in cue. It also shows up in Revelation chapter 11, I believe, as well. But this great multitude is those who are gathered from every tongue, tribe, and nation, right? Who have already received the, 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 the um, clean garment of the Lamb of God. And they, they spend their time worshiping God. They spend their time celebrating his victory. They are the gathered army who pray on our behalf. That is their main weapon. This would also be the martyrs who are crying out from under the altar as well. They've been crying out for justice. So what's happening here is God is answering those prayers. Amen? And And so what's happening here is that great gathered multitude is... um, is is recognizing that God is in and through what Christ is doing and has done. He's bringing to fulfillment the promises of God that he would take care of and protect his people. So they say, this gathered multitude from every tongue, tribe, and nation in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. So notice where they start. They start with a declaration of who God is and a celebration of who he is. They are hallowing his name. This is a common and good practice for us, God's people. It's one of the reasons that we say it's very important to cultivate your sacred memory of the goodness of God. It's very important for us to help the next generation to do this because it does not come natural to us. It's why we encourage you every Lord's Day Sabbath, take some time to do that with your family and your friends and help cultivate an understanding of the great grace that is salvation and glory and power that belong to the Lord our God. And then this great multitude that is gathered from every tongue, tribe, and nation says, for his judgments are true and just. Now that is of great comfort to us. 
What if you served a God who was just arbitrary or petulant? How terrifying would that be to have someone who has the power of the Lord our God with no actual standard by which he does what he does or that we didn't know what the standard was. That we would have to live our lives in fear of death, in fear of coming before him because we have no guaranteed covering, because we have no confidence that he loves us. That deeply would affect how we live. Now, the alternative ought to also deeply affect how we live. Knowing that in Christ, God's judgment has has actually passed over us. We were marked with the blood of Christ. We're going to celebrate that in the table this morning. We have been covered in in the garment and the raiment of his righteousness such that the the anger of God, the judgment of God toward our sin has been exhausted. And you may say, well, wait a minute now. Isn't there going to be a judgment of our works? Yes. Now, you need to understand why your works need to be judged because how we live in this life matters. And so there's going to be things that translate into the new heavens, new earth. They will need to be purified. The judgment of your works is not going to be uh, uh, in, in the sense of you will suffer for each wrong that you've done. No, it will just be purged. And as, as Paul tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, you will be saved from the fire. You need not fear that judgment, but instead you ought to consider how you live. You should consider how you live so that the bride we'll see in just a few moments would be even more beautiful as she is arrayed with the righteousness of the saints. And so we have an opportunity to contribute to the new heavens and new earth. I don't know exactly what all it looks like. I don't know what all is going to make it in. But I do know that that is an exciting premise. To think that what we're doing here is not just biding time. We're not just uh, spinning our wheels and wasting our time if we live mindfully and thoughtfully of the kingdom of God and the king. And so here he's saying, his judgments are just and true, which is confidence for us. He says, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Now, we didn't read chapter 17 and 18. Uh, But what you would have found there is basically the fall of Babylon, and Babylon essentially falls when the beast turns on her. And so what we see is a very common practice of evil eats itself eventually. It collapses in on itself. And what we need to recognize is that, that Babylon is the, essentially the city of man's brokenness or the city of sin. And it's, it stands in opposition to the new heavens and new, new earth that's coming down as a bride. It's the tale of two cities, the tale of two women. Now, what's interesting about this is this should call to mind for us the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs, there's the tale of two women. There's the woman who is, essentially, is, is God's wisdom made manifest. And then there's also the woman who seeks to lead those astray, right? And what's interesting, and we often fail to miss this, is Proverbs, and we'll get into this when we do the sermon series on Proverbs starting uh, sometime in, in the late spring, early summer. But what's interesting about Proverbs 
is that it's written to young men, okay? What's fascinating is there's really only one person who keeps what is written in Proverbs. Do you know who it is? The Proverbs 31 woman. And so it is important for us to recognize that while, while feminine imagery is being used here for Babylon, male imagery is used for the beasts. And so we recognize that it's both and. There's no gender that's better than the other, right? No gender being picked on here. But in this case, the feminine imagery is used as both fallen Babylon and bride of Christ. You also see in the book of Revelation that Satan essentially is just a false god. And the beast, the first beast, is actually just a false Christ. It's a parody of him. The second beast is a false prophet, priest, and essentially uh, the church. Remember, he's the one who releases all the frogs that prophesy. And so what we have in Revelation is the, the tale of the two cities. And what's interesting is as Babylon falls, her people weep. You have the guys standing on the shore as the commerce is coming to an end. And all of their material blessings are being lost. Does this sound familiar at all to something going on recently? We have a current event maybe speaking to this a little bit. And so notice that in the fall of Babylon, there is weeping and wailing. In the new heavens and new earth, what will be no more? Weeping and wailing. So notice the opposition of the two, the, how the two stand in completely different and provide completely different things and result in completely different things. And so, but Babylon was not just uh, casually wrong, accidentally wrong, right? They were trying, they were trying to figure out, trying to help people. No, Babylon, the spirit of Babylon is actually destructive and seeks to control and seeks to take over and seeks most importantly to keep you from glorifying the Lord your God, to get you to turn to idolatry. It's a very active process. And so the question is, are you aware of the ways in which you are being marketed commodified. We've talked about this before. One of the great relation, aspects of relationship with God is we're not a commodity. We're sons and daughters. We are loved, even as enemies. We are forgiven, even when we should know better. And so instead, Babylon doesn't care for its people. It uses them up and spits them out. And so that that should be judged. That should be dealt with. No justice can be said to be done if that's allowed to continue or just overlooked as if it didn't matter. Part of our problem is we just, we don't see the gravity of this situation, right? I mean, we're so caught up in the things that are going on in our lives and just only so much we can worry about. And now we got this coronavirus situation to try to figure out. And, and you know, what are we supposed to do with all this stuff? Well, try to keep it simple. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor and figure out how what you do in your spheres of influence helps you best get at those things, recognizing that it takes time and cultivation to mature into Christ, right? It's a process. Be gracious to yourself as God has been gracious to you. Be gracious to each other as Christ has been gracious to us. But let's remember that it's not our job to bring judgment. Let us remember from the rest of Revelation 
that when God begins to unleash his judgment on the world, and, and we really we didn't get to this because it really shows up in the end of Revelation 10, it says that the world just grows angrier at God. They don't respond. They don't repent. And so what does help change their mind? Well, according to the book of Revelation, it's how the church serves those who are suffering. So judgment of God is not the opportunity for us to dance at their funerals or to not take seriously their perishing. It is actually the opportunity to step in and love and to serve. Every major crisis gives us this opportunity. The coronavirus is no different. We have an incredible opportunity as the church to help navigate these waters in wisdom and without fear. Interesting balance there. And so we have an opportunity to love our neighbors who are scared to death. They've got two years worth of toilet paper, but they're scared to death, right? And you want to stay friends with those people, just in case. And listen, there's also other people who think, you guys, are complete morons. April is going to come and everything's going to be fine. Right? And those people aren't recognizing, listen, people have already died. That, how many people did it take for Jesus to bellow at the tomb of? In the same way that all of heaven breaks out in a party? When one lost sinner comes home, Christ grieves the death of every single individual for whom it was not really, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And we too ought to have a similar mindset. I was reading an article about a nursing home in Washington where they've had a, 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 really an insane incidence rate. And to mine in your ear, maybe eight doesn't sound like very many that is an awful lot in, in, in terms of just grieving, in terms of just being fearful and trying to figure out what's going on. And so people, people have already been hit hard. Our good friends in Seattle, the city of Seattle has asked them not to gather and worship. They're not getting to do what we're getting to do right now. Don't take this for granted. Don't miss the opportunity to actually minister to both sides of the circumstance and love people well. Take the opportunity to pray, to use the means of grace, to, to uh, use wisdom, to, to be able to show confidence uh, in the Lord our God. Not the kind of confidence that says, I ain't worried about this. I'm going to go to the store and lick all the handles. That's how faithful I am. No, you, you shouldn't. You should not do that. N-O-T, capital. And so, so if, if the coronavirus is, is some, some measure of uh, judgment, which, which it's part of the fall, is it for us to go declaring that, or, or is it for us to declare the gospel? And the opportunity to be delivered from fear and death and sin and shame. It is a tremendous opportunity that we have. Let's not squander this. Because it is, it is incumbent upon us to minister to the world that is, doesn't understand God's judgment as just. 
doesn't understand God's, God's warnings of judgment as grace. We have the opportunity to declare that so that we need not declare hallelujah over their perishing. So, as we look at this, it says, once more they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And that's just to say, Babylon will not rise again. Once she is defeated, there is no resurrection for her. She can't come back. And that's good news to us that at one, when it's put to rest, it is put to rest once and for all. Notice again how this uh, next verse four brings us back to chapters four and five in Revelation, that heavenly throne room scene of worship. And it shows that the 24 elders get involved, the four living creatures that were described in chapter four. Uh, they're, they're all worshiping God. And, and as he is seated on the throne, amen and hallelujah is declared. And then we hear again from the throne a voice saying, praise our God, all you who, his servants, all you who fear him, small and great. Notice again, the resolution of that matter, this issue of God's judge judgment is our worship and praise. Our single best defense against a fallen world, our greatest weapon is worship. God's word, the means of grace. So listen to what Derek Thomas says about this passage. He says, the vengeance of God is an act of purity. At last, the cry of the martyred saints from Revelation 6.10, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It's been answered. Justice has been seen to be done. So let me ask you this. Do you trust that God is just in his judgment of the unjust principalities and powers of this world? Are you confused about God's judgment? Are you untrusting as to whether or not both, you gotta live with two things, his tarrying, his waiting, his patience, his long-suffering, and when he acts it out. Both are difficult, are they not? In different ways, right? Because sometimes you find out you were part of Babylon. And sometimes you find out you, 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 were, you were in cahoots with in ways you didn't know. The good news is you can, your judgment in that can be in Christ or it can be on you. And since we are sitting here this morning, we have the opportunity to repent of the ways in which we have yoked ourselves and participated in the spirit of Babylon. That may take some consideration on your part. And do let it be judged. Let it be judged in Christ. Do repent of it so that you can be set free from shame and guilt. Don't wait. Don't wait. And then, how does your answer to this question affect how you live in worship? Do you live being able to risk and go into difficult situations and difficult relationships and, and speak into the darkness and speak truth to power because you know that God is just to judge and you don't have to make it all work. Your job is just to provide the opportunity for repentance and reconciliation. It is on the spirit and the finished work of Christ to bring it all the way home. What a gift, because that means we get to speak to 
but not have to be responsible for what they do with it. Think of, I can't help but think of the opening of the book of Ezekiel as he says to him, he says, Ezekiel, you're the watchman on the tower. You are to make sure that they know what's coming. You will not be judged by what they do with it, but you will be judged if you don't tell them. And same is true for us. What are we doing with the just judgment of God that is coming? Does it motivate us to have people be able to be confident in their sin being judged in Christ so that they don't have to taste of the second death? Is it affecting how we live, being able to live in a confidence that Babylon will not always rule? Oppression will end. We even see it as it convulses through history. Right? There's miniature ways in which God has put an end to any number of things. What a beautiful thing that he gives us glimpses of what's to come. If you would turn back to the text and let's see the hallelujah chorus for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Now what I want you to notice here is the, the worship service just gets louder. It just gets louder and it, it's, it sounds like where in other places it, it signals the coming of God. Usually you have uh, what signaling the coming of God is peals of thunder and the rush of many waters. You hear that a good bit. And so there, the excitement has grown. Judgment's been taken care of. That, that's worthy of our worship, but, but greater than that is the preparation of the bride ready for the bridegroom. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Notice again, they hallowed the name of God first. We could learn much from that. We too should hallow the name of God first. But we've got to be paying attention in order to do that, right? And so, so it's important that we recognize his worth and worthiness. And notice they then say, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. This harkens back to many places throughout the Old and New Testament. God promises, as we even read this morning in Isaiah 54, he speaks of being married to his people, being wed to his people. We hear of the great banquet in the Gospels where people are to be invited. Remember, there was a group of folks who were like, nah, I got to cut grass. I got stuff to do. Really? You got something better to do than show up for this? And remember that God sends out, the ser Christ sends out the servants to go into highways and byways, dredge up whoever would come. So this, this is the fulfillment of that moment, or it's the beginning of the fulfillment of that moment. And it says, his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is, pay close attention to what I'm about to say, the righteousness of the saints. Doesn't say the righteousness of Christ. Now you might push back and say, is not all righteousness the righteousness of Christ? And you are correct. We have no righteousness that would be worthy of this outside of union with Christ. But we have been invited into the work between the now and the not yet so that we could participate. So that what we do matters to the beauty of the bride. That how we live does in fact matter. And so 
She is making herself ready. It is, if, if you've been to a wedding, it's just as if she's standing outside the double doors waiting for the music to begin. Notice what else it says. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. Notice that there is a, a crowd gathered to see and witness her. And again, from the New Testament tells us it will be those who've been invited from the highways and byways. So the question is, are we at work in the fields of harvest to invite people to this supper? Those people don't get there accidentally. They get there through the intentional working of the Holy Spirit through the ordinary means that God has chosen. You and I, for the most part. And so, are we, first of all, do we even know what's coming? In, in, in enough sense that we are genuinely excited about it. Isaiah 25 has such a great way of putting it. It says that we will eat the finest of meat and drink the richest of wine. So that means that everything between the now and the not yet is but pale foretaste. Do you get that this is going to be an embodied thing, that it will be beauty beyond anything we have ever comprehended? Such that we should say in one breath, come Lord Jesus, but also recognize that the tarrying is so that we would be at work. And so you can't invite somebody to something you can't describe. Jimmy Buffett, the great prophet, said this, don't describe the ocean if you've never seen it. And there's a sense in which you may say, well, how are we supposed to see the marriage supper of the Lamb? Well, through a glass darkly, this is part of it. How we love and serve and engage each other and in our various spheres of influence as we see people come to Christ, that's part of it, right? And so we also have enough information here that we should be able to, uh, it's not, you don't have to worry about, I remember one time someone said, I wonder if we'll wear gold slippers. I said, I hope not, but I don't care uh, when I get there. Um, and so uh, that part's not what's important. It's what's going to be revealed that has already been revealed to us. How good is our God to have described this to us in so many different and beautiful ways? And as the angel says, these are the true words. And then John tried to worship this dude. And that, here's what you got to understand. John tries to worship him because he's so excited about the gift that he's been given from the angel for what he saw. John just can't even help himself. Would that we had that kind of excitement. And notice John doesn't get vaporized for trying to worship the angel. But the angel's quick to say, don't worship me. I'm just like you. I'm part of this, this whole thing. I'm part of the kingdom, working just like you. He says, worship God. Reserve your worship for the Lord your God. And so we have these wonderful hallelujah choruses, both for the judgment that is just of God to bring to an end all oppression which we should long for in our bones. But some of us fail to see it because we're just not paying attention. And we also should join the hallelujah chorus because of the great marriage supper that has been planned and is coming. 
but has not yet been uh, finished. Listen to what G.B. Caird, uh, uh, New Testament scholar, says. He says, the bride is the heavenly reality of which Babylon is the earthly travesty. We should be preparing for the marriage supper, not to be of no earthly good, but instead to become of actual earthly good. Having the works of our hands be eternal to help clothe the, the, the bride with our righteousness. So let me ask you, do you live as if what you do in this life matters in eternity? Do you? You may say, well, God, I have to quit my job to do that. No, you, no, you don't. In fact, please don't. Except for Matt. He quit the other job. Chick-fil-A so he can be of a greater heavenly good. Right? Don't, don't, don't see it that way. What you do matters significantly, and it matters over time. I was sharing with the staff uh, in, in my time at Ortho, Georgia. It was over about an eight-year period uh, that uh, the, a relationship was cultivated um, with one of the doctor's assistants who, uh, she lived an interesting life, let's just say. And she was probably in her late 20s, and she was uh, preparing to marry, marry a guy in his mid-50s who owned a, a lovely bar called Wagers almost as great as the monkey barrel in Marietta. And so uh, she uh, had said, uh, hey, and he didn't like coming to any of the, the parties because he just didn't fit, and, and I didn't like coming to any of the parties because I didn't feel like I fit, but I felt convicted that I needed, I needed to be there and not just forsake everything. So she told him, find Cameron. And he and I got to know each other, and he ended up having shoulder surgery and got to know him real well, and, and they asked me to do their wedding, and, and I wasn't able to. Uh, because we had something scheduled, but, but Amy would often come to me for prayer and other things because she saw how I carried myself over eight years. I was there for 12. Now, she did not come to Christ in that time frame, and I didn't approve of all her behavior, and she knew that. But man, I hope in the marriage supper that she comes running. And it's uh, made me realize I quit praying for Amy too long ago. I need to keep praying for those things, right? Specifically. And then there's others. I had other patients who actually accepted Christ during that time frame. So what you do matters. How you do it matters. People are watching. Remember, the whole of your life is witness. How you engage your neighbors matters. How you love your family, it matters. Do it in Christ. Do it with the means of grace. Invite people to the supper in various ways. And so, again, I ask you, do you live as if what you do in this life matters in eternity? And how does your answer to this question affect how you live and worship? A lot of times I think we forget that showing up for worship matters. You think, unfortunately, that I'm, I, I, what I do, or Robbie, or Matt, or Wes, or Josh, that what we're doing is the most important part. Oh, no. We are but a sad preamble to what is most true. See, what you do in terms of the relationships that you build with each other, your recognition of the sorrow, if there is some in the person sitting next to you, your recognition of the needs of those around us, your recognition of the image of God in the people who come here, 
the hospitality that you show, the ways in which you pray with, that is more of what matters. Or better said, what we do just ends up ringing hollow if you don't be equipped for the work of the ministry. Nobody's interested in great speaking. You can do that on podcasts. And you don't catch coronavirus on podcasts. I don't think, not yet anyway. And so, so it's very important that you recognize as different parts of the body that your presence, it matters deeply. And so, remember that how you live, it has eternal implications. So Revelation 19, 1 through 10 teaches us that we are to be obedient to the word of God and worship the Lord in joyous praise as a, as a result of his faithful fulfillment of his just judgment on the principalities and powers of darkness and the promised redemption of his people as celebrated in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Judgment without redemption is cruelty. Redemption without judgment is cruelty. Neither works if both don't work together. It's important that we be able to celebrate both. 